everyone. This is episode 57 on the Practicology Podcast, and we're going through a little mini-series right now where we're reading through the book Key Bible Concepts. And if you're joining with us on that, you'll have just read four chapters on the subject of faith, and then in the previous week's reading, a chapter on repentance. And that is what we're going to cover today, the subjects of repentance and faith. And uh, we want you to know that we try to practice what we preach. And so uh, we're actually recording this without really any notes or the usual preparation that we do for these episodes. We are recording by faith. And uh, I have a feeling that as soon as we're done, we're going to repent of it too. (laughs) You might be right. Yeah. The two subjects certainly go well together though, Mike. I'm thinking of Paul's words to the elders from Ephesus. He calls them to Miletus, Acts chapter 20. And he speaks of his mission, a beautiful summary of his life's mission and his parting advice to them. And he says he was testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a a good summary of his gospel preaching, right? Yeah, that's a wonderful summary. And it does show how repentance and faith are kind of two sides of of the same coin. Right. So here's a, a few points I think that we need to keep in mind on the subject of repentance Firstly, and Gooding and Lennox made this very clear as well, repentance is not just feeling sorry, but it does convey a true change in our thinking about our sin and towards God. Uh, Can you think of any, is there any scripture examples, Mike, that that come to your mind when I stress that, that it's not just feeling sorry, but it's a change in our thinking? Well, uh, I mean, the the classic example, and I think they give this is is Judas, who, who felt awful about what he did, but it didn't really involve a true change of mind, change of heart towards what he had done or towards Christ. Whereas uh, with Peter, we, we see the sorrow, we see the contrition, but we see a real turning to the Lord as well. Awesome. That's I love the Peter story there. And maybe because we can relate to it, there's times when we feel so awful about something we've done as well, but there is grace and there's a forgiveness as we repent. But I also love that passage of the tax collector in Luke chapter 18, and the change in thinking that he conveys shows that he he recognizes not only has he done some bad things, but that he is a bad person. And the Pharisee, of course, had plenty of accusations he could throw against him, but the, the tax collector, the publican says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that recognition of who he was in himself as a sinner And he's turning to God for mercy. That is a great exhibit to me of true repentance. Secondly, and tell me what you think of this wording. Maybe I should articulate it a little bit better. But repentance definitely leads to a change in behavior. That's how we know that there's been true repentance. But it's not the change in behavior that earns the repentance. In other words, what I'm trying to get across here is that we don't we don't change our life in order to be saved. Repentance is a change in our thinking and it will produce a change in our behavior. Is that articulated okay? Yeah, absolutely, Matthew. That's a great way of putting it. And maybe in this light, you can touch on like, what does John the Baptist mean, for instance, when he says that we're to bear fruits in keeping with repentance? Does that mean that until they bear the fruit and until they bring this changed life towards God that they haven't repented yet? No, it doesn't mean that. What it is saying, of course, is that the fruits that they are manifesting are fruits of the repentance that they have already expressed and experienced. They are in keeping with the repentance that they have already 
experience. So to me, here's a good example. I love this story in Matthew chapter 21, when the Lord Jesus tells a little parable about the two sons. And uh, he says, go work in my vineyard today. And the first said, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And the second son said, I will go, but he didn't go. So that first son who said, I won't go, but then he changed his mind and went. So his, his going and working, that was fruits that are keeping with the repentance that took place in his mind when he decided I was wrong to say no and I should go. Hmm. Yeah, that's a very helpful example. And uh, a favorite one for me is the story of Zacchaeus. Uh, you, you know, he, he, the end of the story is that Zacchaeus's life has changed dramatically. There is much fruit of repentance, but, but it's not that the Lord accepts him after he has changed his life, but rather that change of life happens because uh, he's been accepted by Christ. Thank you. And I think that's really important because sometimes whether we give the wrong impression or people just get the wrong impression that uh, a call to repent is for them to clean up their life and then God accepts them. But that's not the point. That changed life is a is a fruit that's an evidence of God's work within them that has already begun when they repented in their thinking. Matthew, you've just alluded to how uh, sometimes we can maybe miscommunicate or misunderstand repentance even in our preaching. And I have a little question for you. Uh, do we need to mention the word repentance every time we preach the gospel? Good question. And my answer would be, we don't need to say the term every time we preach the gospel. Uh, in fact, we can preach the concept of repentance without using that word. And even if we use the word, we still need to explain it because it isn't a common concept. At least the Bible concept is not common in the culture's thinking. So we do need to preach sin, and we need to preach to people that they need to turn to God for mercy and forgiveness from their sin. And we need to tell people that they are sinners, so that's all part of preaching repentance. And I could preach all those things without saying the word repentance. There's nothing wrong with saying the word repent, by the way, but it does need to be explained. Most important is that we are preaching the issue of sin and people's recognition of their guilt and their need to turn to Christ. You good with that? Yeah, that's really helpful, yeah. Okay, so we've thought about how it's not just feeling sorry. It is a change in our thinking, illustrated perhaps by the tax collector, illustrated by Peter. It's a change in our thinking that will lead to a change in our behavior. It's not the, it's not the, the change in behavior itself. It's something that goes on within us. It's going to produce a change in our actions. We do need to preach this truth. The other thing, though, that I think it's very helpful for us to keep in our mind is that repentance is not just a one-time thing. Now, our conversion to God is a one-time thing. Once we are in Christ, we are in Christ forever. And that comes about by our repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. That's our conversion. But repentance should also characterize the Christian life. I'm thinking of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where Paul says how he made them grieve with his letter, but he doesn't regret it because he sees how they were changed as a result of it. 2 Corinthians 7, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So the repentance and the salvation of which he speaks there is not conversion, but he's talking about repentance amongst the community of Christians and uh, a salvation from their from their circumstances in which they were making a mess of their Christian testimony. Yeah, and, and Matthew, tell me if I'm wrong, but I believe when Martin Luther pasted his 95 theses to the door of Wittenberg Chapel or church or whatever it was, 
I believe the first one leading, you know, top of the list was that the Christian life is a life of repentance. And uh, that's very encouraging to me. I, I find in my Christian life, I often need to repent. And, uh, and I love that truth or that picture of the Christian life as just being a, a continuum. It begins with a, a one-time sort of turning to Christ and, and faith in him and from my own works and sin and so on. But the life that emerges from that is a lifetime of, of many repentances, of many turnings to, to the Lord. And it has to include that because we are not yet sinlessly perfect. And where there is sin, there is going to have to be repentance. Hmm. But as you mentioned at the beginning, repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. Yeah, well, let me just say one more thing about repentance to get us to faith here. Uh, one of the pictures that I love that really helps me understand repentance is that idea of turning. You know, when you, uh, as happens to some of us men a lot, we we take a wrong turn and there comes a point where we, where we realize, okay, I'm, I'm on the wrong road. I need to turn around. And if uh, my wife and children are with me, that sometimes means losing some face because it means admitting I'm wrong and I have to get back to, to where I should be. And I think that's really a powerful um, way to convey the truth of repentance. We're all living life on the wrong path, going the wrong direction. And repentance is a change of mind, as you've said. It's a turning, a turning away from myself, from my ideas, from my bad sin, from also uh, my own attempts to save myself, my own attempts to fix things and save myself. And, and it is a turning onto God, a turning to the Lord. And I think, I think this is why we see repentance and faith as something that, that are so closely united in Scripture. Uh, repentance is turning from something onto God, and faith is a trusting in God, a relying on God. So they are two sides of the same coin. You, you really can't truly repent without there being an element of faith involved. Correct. And you really can't you really can't express faith in another without first admitting that you yourself are incapable and, and wrong. Is is that a helpful way of putting those two together, Matthew? hundred percent. And that's a, a great way of explaining it. What would you give as a good working definition of faith? Oh boy. That's, uh, I mean, I know some, some will go immediately to Hebrews 11. I'm not sure that's a definition of faith. Uh, yeah. I, want, I wonder if Hebrews 11 gives us more what faith does as opposed to a, a definition, but I've heard this definition and I, it's, it's stuck with me. I find it helpful that faith is believing a report from God. Yeah, I think I would maybe define it this way. Faith faith is a responding to God in which I believe what he says and trust the character of the one who says it, something like that. That's good. Um, in John 1, it's linked with receiving Christ. You know, those who believe in him are also those who receive him. So it's a, an accepting of his person. And uh, so, yeah, it's not merely an intellectual ascent. The, the devil and, and his demons they believe propositional truth about God, but they don't trust in him. They don't embrace him. Correct. Very good. Thanks for that. Well, Matthew, uh, we're wanting this to be short and sweet. So what I want to do uh, further on this topic of faith now is, is to talk about what it means to live by faith. We've all heard that expression. Uh, of course, it's a biblical one. Romans 1 says the just shall live by faith. And, but but uh, maybe we sometimes understand that truth in unbiblical ways. In other words, we narrow it down to really 
just like full-time people in Christian ministry, you know, who don't have a salary, they're living by faith. And then everyone else who's a Christian, well, not sure what they're living by, but it's not by faith because they're not, you know, they have a salary or something. Well, the, the Bible doesn't speak that way. The Bible says that all Christians live by faith, just as the Christian life is an ongoing life of repentance. So the Christian life is an ongoing life of faith. We get in by faith in Christ and we get on in the Christian life by faith on by faith in Christ. And so I want to talk to that a little wee bit. Uh, you might be just saying, how do I live as a Christian by faith? Well, let me give you a wonderful verse or two to dwell on. And this is Galatians chapter 2. And uh, Paul says in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So if you're a Christian and you want to live your life by faith, let me give you uh, three truths that, that you can rely on, that you can live by, that you can entrust yourself to. Number one, you are in Christ. You are in Christ. The verse begins, I have been crucified with Christ. What on earth does that mean, right? Uh, does it mean that 2,000 years ago there were nails that literally pierced my skin uh, along with Christ? No. This is the truth of us being in Christ. Jesus Christ alone was on that cross. He alone was crucified 2,000 years ago, but he did what he did there as the representative of all who believe in him. So that if you're a believer in Christ, God looks at you as if you were crucified with the Lord Jesus. You weren't physically, but because he was crucified in your place as your representative, then God sees you as crucified with him, which means what? Which means that our sins are paid for, right? Like if, we, if we've murdered someone, God forbid, and then um, we're executed for our crime, and then someone finds out years later that we killed another person. They don't take our body out and kill it again. They're, we've already paid for a crime. They're, the law can't come and get us anymore. There's no penalty that can stick to us any further. And so this is the first truth. How do we live by faith? Well, we believe in our hearts. We count it true every day. I have been crucified with Christ. I am in Christ and there's no more condemnation or judgment awaiting me. That's the first thing. So we're seen as having died with Christ, and now it's no longer I who live. Someone else has taken over. The, the old Mike Knox is gone, and, and someone new is, is invaded into my life. It's the Lord Jesus. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So living by faith as a Christian means, first of all, believing I'm in Christ. I'm represented by him. I'm united to him. But then secondly, it means Christ is in me. I believe that Jesus Christ, through his Holy Spirit, actually lives out the Christian life in me. This is such a powerful truth. It is a true uh, turning away from self and my own resources and a leaning upon the Lord Jesus, whose grace uh, has been imparted into me. And then thirdly, uh, as, as Paul finishes off the verse, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. But lest he should 
you know, confuse us and give the impression that, that we're gone now. He says, you know, I'm still physically alive. He says, in the life I now live in the flesh. So I'm, I'm still physically living in my body. The life I now live in the flesh, he says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What's encouraging about this to me too, Mike, is that, you know, I, I feel much more comfortable about the direction of my life if the Lord Jesus is truly the one in control. And you've also made clear how living by faith is inseparable from living in fellowship with Christ. You know, Christ Christ is everything in the Christian life. So this living by faith, I mean, it is going to be obeying God's word. But as you said a few minutes ago, it's not just assenting to propositional truth. This is also a life that's lived with faith in and fellowship with a person, the Lord Jesus. Yes, it is a intimate and dynamic relationship. The Christian life is not primarily a life of, of, you know, fulfilling checklists and doing lots of things and working hard, but it's primarily a life of faith in Christ, of reliance on the Lord Jesus, of relationship with him. What does it mean to live by faith? It means I believe every day, I believe that I'm in Christ, that Christ is in me, and thirdly, that Christ loves me. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I just love how Paul is trying to convey to the Galatians what the true nature of the Christian life is. And he says it's fundamentally a life of reliance upon the Son of God. And what truth is it that we primarily need to rehearse to ourselves and believe and rely on? It's this truth that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. These wonderful prepositions. The Son of God gave himself for me so that I could be crucified with him so that he could take up residence and live in me. Three wonderful prepositions. And if you understand these, it will greatly help you live every day by faith in the Son of God. And it's a great help to me in my ongoing need for repentance to remember that Christ loves me and he gave himself for me, a sinner. All right. Well, thank you everyone for tuning into our episode today as we took a quick trip through these big subjects of repentance and faith. Next week, we are returning to one of the ION words, sanctification. We've got just a couple more studies to go through with you through the Key Bible Concepts book. And what are the chapters that they're to be reading for next week, Mike? Yeah. So next week is chapters 13 to 14, sanctification. And then the following week, we finish up with the final judgment and the word salvation. All right, and don't feel bad if you are not able to keep up with the reading. We're encouraging you to do that. It'll be a blessing to you. If you're not able to, we still want you to tune into the podcast, and there'll still be something for you as well. Thanks so much for tuning in today. We pray the Lord's blessing upon you all. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. 